Welcome back. This is the Morning Brushback episode 48. I'm your co-host Dan Blewett. I'm joined here remotely in, uh, is Chicago still intact, Bobby? Is Chicago still there? Mm. Where, what's happening? Debatable. We're rioting. We're protesting again. We're destroying Prada stores. It does Prada, seem highly debatable. How do you get insurance if you're, if you're Prada right now or uh, Louboutin? It's got to well, be impossible. For that individual story, you mean? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like, we're, we, you and I were talking about this. And what did they lose? Like a million dollars in inventory from their store, which, which was is only re- like retail price, you know? Like, realist- like, what? Realistically, it's only six handbags for product. Yeah, that's true. Those stores are so empty. It's, it's creepy. But like, even in, in the Apple store, like, you lose a hundred laptops that cost a thousand dollars each on average or whatever that laptop cost apple 150 bucks to manufacture yeah. and apple sneezes apple as as a company apple wipes its nose with a million dollars of inventory like i don't think they care at all you know what i mean like they care but i i can't imagine can't you- this is having a dent in, yeah, the, so in they, their finances. It's a trillion dollar company. So know? they went after the Apple store again, uh, near my uh-huh. house, actually. Probably like a, I don't know, a mile from my house. Yeah, they went after the Lincoln Park one. Can't you track Michigan all... Ave. Can't you track all Apple devices? That's a good point. I was talking to someone else about that. These all have serial numbers. Like, Apple knows all their inventory in that store, for sure. That seems like a very valid point. Like, these... Like, you'd have to send these to... What? Europe or something for them to be basically hidden from, I don't know, being found. Yeah. I'll take one. Like why, why are, where's my insider info? I'm in Chicago. I didn't know we were looting. You got to get on the tweets. Yeah, man. I could have used a diaper bag for, from Prada. Sign up for their newsletter. It's on, it's like a MailChimp newsletter. I think here I am blindsided. Like they're right down the street from my house. They're, They're robbing the CBD store. They're robbing Apple. And I'm sitting here tweeting like can i get a heads up you know sometimes you want to be in, you want to be an inclusive group include everybody well That's you've got I'm a doing. you've got a little a little one on the way yeah um, times are tough you know money to go tight. yeah get some diapers man go get some powder like get guys are these guys are at target stealing flat, uh, flat screens i'm over there taking formula and well baby wipes well, speaking of things acquired illegally, or I'm sorry, acquired <laughs> legally, legal, legally, I bought this this morning at the grocery store. You stole it. Old Bay hot sauce. That's what is it? An Old Bay brand, or is it a, is like Tabasco that added Old Bay? Oh no, this is Old Bay brand. This came out in the fall, and it immediately sold out online, like in 30 minutes, <laughs> which is not surprising. Ugh, that looks. Oh, and it's great. <laughs> It's everything I thought it would be. See, this is funny because I make a sauce called Comet Sauce, named after my sister's dog. And it's just uh, wing sauce, so buffalo sauce, Old Bay, and ranch. Mix those three together. It's incredible. Sounds pretty good. This tastes a lot like it, obviously, minus the ranch. So I beat you to the punch, Old Bay, but I'm very happy to support one of my close-to-the-heart brands. Now, would you, good morning. If, w- would you throw that in a shot of Malort? Oh, absolutely. Just, absolutely. I would just down, and down. Your I've got mort. my La Colum today. Today is a big day. All my brands are out. Have you been out and about already today? I went for, I went for a walk to the grocery store. 
What's the what's the grocery store out there? Wagmans? Uh, there's a giant. There's a Safeway. There's a Trader Joe's. Um, and then they just start to repeat. Those are like the main brands, I guess, in within DC proper. So Wegmans, great East Coast grocery store. It's a lifesaver. Wegmans was how I ate for most of my two years in Camden, New Jersey, as a river shark. Magic spot to be. Well, it's because if if you want to actually eat healthy-ish, you go to Wegmans. They have this huge hot and cold bar, and you can get a six-dollar meal, which includes an entree and like two sides, and the entrees are like lemon chicken or you know another good protein and then you get like green beans or broccoli or sweet potatoes or sweet potato fries or mashed like and then you just get like that's your meal and it's actually good food that's it was six bucks at the time i don't know if it's still a six dollar meal now but magical place magical the wegmans magical all right so what's on the agenda today what do we got uh we have a lot of topics but first since we, you just brought up grocery store, let's talk about that book I was still reading because it's, I'm, I'm about done it. It's called Anti-Fragile. He talks about lots of different stuff. One, and this is one thing I'm interested in your opinion on because it really got me thinking. He discusses, like the, we talked about this term before, anti-fragile is like systems getting stronger over time when uh, exposed to stress. Right. But he, he talks a lot about medicine and food and all these other things and basically his rule and this guy's very arrogant it's hard to listen to him at a lot of the book because he's so arrogant but he talks about how so for example he says well nature tests everything really really well like if you want to you know feed your family safe foods or take medicines that are deemed safe like nature figures it out pretty well much more so than anything else so he was talking about icing like he broke his nose and he's in the, in the doctor's office and they're like Hey, let's put this ice pack on to get the swelling down. He's like, why? He's like, my body has learned to produce swelling as a response to an injury over the course of thousands and thousands of years. Why would I want to stop that? Like, do we have any, ev- any good evidence for stopping that? And the doctor's like, uh, so that's kind of guy he is. He's, Dude, like kinda, just he's, take he's the, terrible. Just take the ice and go home. But like, so, like his- yeah. So there's a lot of examples. Like you talked about even about apples, how, he grew up, uh, I can't remember where he's from. I think he's from the Middle East. But when he was a kid, apples were just these little kind of like crab apple kind of like not super sweet, but then they're bred over time, hybridized to be very, very sweet. He said even the modern apple is probably not that healthy for us in the sense that it hasn't been around that long. And the composition of it has been like essentially altered by us, which that's not new. Like we have GMOs, stuff like that, right? Right. And so he, he basically just got me thinking about processes in the human life and diet and medicine, all this stuff, and trying to think of like what things have been really time-tested, like really time-tested, and those are the things you really want to include in your diet. Like all these artificial sweeteners, probably oh going gonna to be bad, proven very bad for humankind. Like right. 20 years from now, we'll probably be like, that was a really bad 50 years and we gave a lot of people cancer and we did a lot of like whatever it is like very short period of time in human history have we had artificial sweeteners and artificial flavors and like all these different things right so it so that's probably not a new sentiment for a lot of people who are very into eating natural stuff and but anyway what's your take on that um well someone who eats primarily organic i would say that 
you can def like my wife can definitely feel a difference when she eats organic versus non-organic and she eats clean versus, you know, what's considered not clean, I guess, uh, in the food dirty. world. Dirty. Dirty. Yeah. Like dirty food. Where does be. Old Bay hot sauce fall in the spectrum? Honestly, hot sauce is usually pretty clean. Uh, if you look I mean, at the ingredients, on, if you look at the ingredients in hot sauces like Tabasco, there's really not like yeah. so. Tur- any anytime I go shopping, like I've only, I basically learned from my wife like what to look for. And if you look at the back of any packaging, there's so many fillers of things that don't sound like food. Yeah, absolutely. And then when, you, but they make it so difficult for you to buy real food, like organic apples and non-organic apples are you know, there's, it's half the cost to buy a, a non-organic yeah. apple. And I get it because you can't grow them as fast. Like you can't, and you can't spray them with whatever and make them double the, uh, make them double the size and half the time. Same thing with chickens or like, you know, beef, you feed them corn and it fattens them up immediately. Whereas if you let a cow graze, it takes them three times as long to get to, get to normal size. So, I'm all, I agree. I mean, I agree with that, that sentiment that like the, the world is, you know, the body's kind of figured out what's best for the body. You know, earth has figured out what's best for earth. And then we keep genetically modifying all this stuff. I mean, I can get into a lot of like, or I eat organic all the time. Like we ate organic tacos yesterday. Um, like non, uh, vegetarian tacos yesterday. Tasted great. Everything tastes fine. Like I don't, I view food as kind of like fuel. I'm not really like going out to delicacies just because. It's like funny you say that because there's a trend going on that people are referring to eating as fueling or, and I like absolutely hate that term. Like fueling, fueling for athletes. It's, like, it's, it's like eating. F- You're yeah, eating. No. Why are we calling it fueling? You're not a race car. It's eating. I wouldn't, it's not, that's a bad Fueling's fuels. I wasn't I, saying like, you were saying that. I was just I going off on a tangent. I know, but I feel like fuel, like fueling, it's like, oh, fuel the body. You got to feed the beast, right? Like that's what they, like but, weightlifters say. No, just you, you're eating, but yeah. are you eating stuff to, because it, like, are you going out and getting an extra large pizza with extra cheese and extra, you know, extra toppings? Cheese. Does anyone do that anymore? People do that. I feel like that was a places fad, like you 20 years to. ago where you get extra cheese. It's like, no, no, no one does you that. You have to get it at some places because they like, they skimp on the cheese because they're lazy and cheese is expensive. Mm. But mm. cheese also another, like cheese is not, cheese is not something that's good for you, for your body. Like your body doesn't process cheese. Like, well, sh- like, like a, like it would process a vegetable, an organic vegetable. Like it, it's, Cheese is essentially like a foreign substance in your body. Like, but what? But it. what evidence do you have for that? Like, who said? Like, says who is my question? So, like, there's a lot of so how I would how I would categorize it is things that inflame your body, like like sugar, like granulated sugar, white sugar. That inflammation is, stuff is very not proven. That's like a that's a very hokey holistic thing. That's definitely mm, very. I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't call it hokey. I mean, you so. I've noticed it more like personally, like if I'll eat something I haven't eaten in a long time, let's say cookies or something like I'll feel like swollen, like my hands. Just cause you're call, just cause you feel different doesn't mean you can call that inflamed. Like, well, what would you call it? That's a, it's a, it's just a garbage term. It's just a big weird catch all that people started using 
because inflammation is like a bad thing. Like, oh, my joints are inflamed. This is inflamed. Eating this bad food causes my body to be in. Your body is not in a constant state of inflammation. That's not how it works. Inflammation uh, is like a cleanup crew. There's no. I don't there's, think, no, I think that's. I mean, that's I'm not going to. We, I don't. We neither oh, one you don't of wanna, us has. You don't want to de- debate me? I, well, you don't know anything maybe, about it. Maybe, maybe there's. Either. No, I do. No, I do know a lot about it, actually. But I, I'm not up on Breitbart News to. to to know your sources. This is medicine. That's not, it's not right wing, right wing. Bobby, you, you don't believe in vaccines. That's like, not true. I believe in vaccines. But you're not going to take the coronavirus vaccine. But you're Absolutely not. The, Absolutely why not? not. So why? It's not one. It's not test. We don't, we've admitted, we have no idea what this virus is. And all of a sudden we're just going to willfully inject people with it. That's insanity. We don't know what that, it is. That's not, what are you, What? We don't know what this virus is. That's doctors have been saying it. No, we don't know all. We don't know all we need to know about this virus. It's been around for four months. So, Viruses are also so not in, double. Bl- there's no double blind tests on viruses. So in a year, they come out with an FDA approved vaccine. FDA is FDA is cr- as corrupt as anybody. So there's basically no one we can ever trust for medicine again. Is that what you're saying? That seems to be your overall thesis I, that we just can't trust anything in medicine, and that's definitely not true. What do you? What it's too would far. You it's a, too far-reaching to say every person's corrupt because there's money. There, that is a problem. That's actually talked about that in the book too. That money funding studies is a problem, but you top. cannot say every person is corrupt. No, you, you. If you worked for the FDA, you wouldn't be corrupt. But you take your direction from the top. So if the top is corrupt, essentially it trickles down all the way to the to the lower. Similar to like the similar to somewhat like the FBI. Like so you really the, need to corrupt one person to corrupt everybody. And it's not that they know they're being corrupted. They're just doing what they have to, what they're being told. Like if they're told to drop a case, they drop the case from their superior. That's too far reaching of a, of a definition for corruption. That's way too far reaching. Um, you know, the FDA, a, like we have very good food standards. You know, people don't die from eating bad cottage cheese. They don't, I mean, so many people could be dying from botulism, all these different foodborne things because of the work of the FDA. You realize that, right? Like it's not dying. We live in though. a very safe society because of the work of the FDA. But it's not dying. It's like def- it's not. We're being fed things that aren't even food. But it's considered people safe choices. for consumption. People, people, yeah, people have choices still. Hey, I agree with you. That's it's a great point, and I couldn't agree with you more. People have people should have the choice, right? I'm not saying you they. They shouldn't be able to go to McDonald's, but the fact that some of the things that are being sold to you as good food aren't good food. They're not essentially, they're not even food. What do you think they're about the, pol- what do you think about the polio vaccine? I, we, I eradic- know, we, eradicate, we eradicated polio, which was a terrible disease. Okay. But what was the survival FDR rate of, but what was the survival rate of polio by the time the vaccine came out? I don't know. Why would I know that? Uh, why would I know about anything about the polio vaccine? That's like the same what, thing. Like, what that, but this is like common knowledge that we've eradicated a really terrible disease that hurt a lot sure, of people. But is it because we eradicated the, it through vaccines? Is, no, it is, is for sure from vaccines. Why is it from vaccines? The polio was had a survival rate of what before the vaccine? You don't was know anything. You don't know. You're you don't know anything either. Some nonsense way. No, I. You can look this up. The history. The Jonas reason saw. polio is gone, you cannot, you cannot tell me it the reason polio is gone. Is the coronavirus, all right, so let's relate it back to coronavirus. It's 99.86% survival rate. What do you need a vaccine for that for? Uh, 
<laughs> you you're really bringing coronavirus into the fact that it's like just proven true that we got rid of polio. We got rid we got rid of polio how? Uh by vaccinating enough of the population where it then went away. I just, that's what's your proof of that? Like how what's what my was, proof? What's your proof? Just because there's no more polio doesn't mean the vaccine is the reason. The reason could be our immune systems figured it out. Like there could be a million reasons. The reasons could be the polio the polio itself got weaker. The the disease got weaker. Like there's no why would you try to find a much more complicated way? Because you're because that's of, a because that's just a away rather than the simple one, which is because your simple one is fitting your narrative of that the vaccine is the reason that it's gone. It's not necessarily there's no evidence of that. Show me the evidence. If you show me the evidence, I'll believe you. There's just a lot of history. The there's a lot of history of it on the web. There's a there's really a, lot of history. About there is. It. I will tag. I will tag you in some of it. The, we have a flu vaccine. We haven't gotten rid of the flu. We have a flu, the flu strain changes every, every year. Okay, so how do you know the polio vaccine didn't just change and we were we could protect ourselves from it? Fall, so it says here, following a mass immunization campaign in the fifties, annual polio cases fell from thirty-five thousand to fifty-six hundred four years later. In nineteen sixty-one, in ni- in nineteen sixty-one, only one hundred sixty-one cases. Okay, 35,000 is, I would argue, an insignificant number of cases. 35,000 was reduced to 161. You don't think that's statistically significant? That absolutely statistically, is. Uh, 35,000 is what That's a huge reduction. It doesn't matter what percentage, what percentage of the population. Of the population? Like, that doesn't matter. It's yes, it does. The annual, that's the annual number of the U.S. 99% of the population were unaffected by polio. Like, granted, it's great for those 34,900 people, but you know, that makes, you, you know that makes no sense, that line of argumentation, right? That's like saying, uh, hey, 35,000 people were killed in car accidents. So we saved acted, And then we acted and we reduced car deaths from 35,000 a year to 100. You would say we didn't do anything. It would have happened by random chance or that wasn't important because it's a small percentage of the population. That, that's nonsensical Impor- reasoning. Import- you're, it's polio. Not, if 99% plus of people would have survived polio regardless, no, I don't think the vaccine made that much difference. It's not like 50% of the people were dying. This isn't bird box. That's not they a standard for saying that something that something improved something. This was clear that it reduced. Okay, I would still. I would still. I would still not, t- I would not take, I would take my 99.5% chance why? that I'm not going to die from polio because why am I going to inject myself with something that's going to give me the deadly virus when I already have the, <laughs> you, know when people I already don't, have, you know, people don't get from inactive viruses, right? That's not how it works. You don't get flu from the flu shot. And what do you, then what do you take it for? It's inactivated. So what is it for then? It's inactivated and your body produces antibodies because it's like this is this then is why like are there ad, then what are the additives and what are the additives middle school aluminum. science i'm i'm doing let's all just kinds get of- back let's get back to the fact that you think just because most of the population doesn't get something it's not worth 
trying to eradicate it. People really suffered from polio. It was a really terrible disease. It crippled you. That's fine. And what if you had five kids back in the 50s, Bobby, and you say, hey, guys, Look, 99 percent of people. Example. No, it's not because you're saying that it doesn't matter because it. You take your chances. Yeah, you're right. Here, related to today, I will absolutely no shot in hell take the coronavirus vaccine. No shot in hell. There's if because I have a 99.86 percent chance of surviving this. I'm more likely to walk outside and get hit by a bus at this point. That doesn't mean I'm not going to walk outside. Like, yeah, if I get hit by a bus, that's terrible. Like, maybe we should have did away with buses. But I'm not going to... That's not a good analogy. No. <laughs> I'm not going to take the virus. Bus, I'm not going to take the vaccine. That's fine, but... There's no reason to take it. No, there definitely, no are, there definitely are there reasons. And the reasons is to prevent needless suffering. Like, you could take it... From who? And have a much less likelihood of getting it. But your and then immune prevent system is proven suffering. to protect you. Your Except for the 150,000 people that died. Didn't protect them. Okay, and how many and you of those don't, people and were you, compromised? And you, and you don't know if that was could be you or not. Yeah, I don't know, but I'm I'm willing to take the chance of something that I do know, my own body over and something then, I don't. And then know, going back to pol- and then going back to polio, it certainly <laughs> drastically affected people. Thirty-five thousand people. That's not. That's a small portion of the population. That's a that's a minuscule portion of the population affected by it. Hmm. But still, if those people. But still, what's the evidence that those people? But those people already died. So they're, that's an, they're irrelevant as, in part of the statistics. Wow. You're, they get, this is did fascinating. Did they get the we're vaccine gonna, and die? We're going to move on. This is fascinating. I want to know. Did those people get the logic. vaccine and die? What? No. Those 35,000 people didn't get the vaccine and die. So they're not, they're not incorporated into the statistics. They might have been compromised already. They might have had pneumonia. They might have had, diff- had cancer. There's no, they died for whatever reason. They weren't vaccinated and then died. Correct or incorrect? I don't know what you're saying. I, I stopped listening. Um, let's okay. move on. Well, let's go back help. to MLB. That, right, doesn't help you. It, well, it wasn't, nothing in the last bunch of minutes has been rational. So um, did you see the MLB brawl with the ath- the Astros and the athletics? And yeah, so I, wish that guy, I wish that guy would have beat the hell out of all the Astros. Did you hear what the guy said? The guy said something about his mother, he said. So he went after him. That was I mean, the story. I mean, that doesn't really get me fired hey, up, like whatever. You've been hit if if I was hit three times and then they're gonna talk shit to me like I like I'm the piece of crap. Yeah, my I might I might take a run at the dugout. That guy's also a monster. <laughs> Have you, you Mariano? Yeah. He's huge. He throws missiles from the outfield. It it was just a weird he like ran in there and then was immediately like kind of like dove on the ground. I don't know. Sometimes it feel, I, I'm sure it's not easy to, I never found myself in a brawl, but um, there just don't seem to be like good punches thrown very often. Bryce Harper got a track. good, Bryce Harper had a good punch and he missed. What was that against James Shields? Two good like misses. Coco Crisp had a good punch. Like no, even Nolan Ryan's thing with Robin Ventura which the anniversary of that was like last month or something. It was like Robin Ventura ran right into his arms. It was real. It was weird. At the last minute, he like didn't have the guts to throw a punch at Nolan and he just like tried to tackle him, which was clearly not the move. And uh, yeah, it's hard to try to figure that out. I'm, I'm all for it. It's a lot of ground to cover in Oakland Coliseum. This was my big thing. It's a far run from first base to the dugout. 
You can't, you don't go after, let's talk brawl strategy. You don't go after the dugout and 25 guys. You go after like the single guy, like, oh, you know, maybe he's in a relationship, maybe he's not, but you go after the guy standing alone and hope that you can get a few good punches in before the crew of his posse gets there to just tackle you and beat the hell out of you on the ground. You can't go after, you don't run into a crowd of no. 30 guys. You got to no. go after the, you got a single guy, find the bat boy, single somebody out, get after that guy. Find the bat boy and <laughs> go after, you go after your kids. Perfect. You got to go what, after What somebody. if he's got, what if, what if the bat boy has polio? Should you go, should you go fight him then? No, your immune system will probably protect you. So you should be good. Got it. Got it. <laughs> um, so your season is wrapped up. Have you gone through tryouts? What is, what's the current state of amateur uh, baseball? Amateur baseball is a train wreck right now. So tryouts obviously have been – start. this is like normal tryout season, right, for the last like five weeks. But we've got teams that are still playing. Like we've got, we've got youth teams still playing, uh, certain programs of high school teams still playing. And usually, I mean, I'm sure you guys did this as well. Like you ask for a commitment after the kid tries out, usually like seven to ten days you give them to decide. Just based purely on, you know, you don't want to have trials for two months. You want to just lock yeah. the rosters up and go. And it's getting harder because a lot of parents want to wait till, you know, especially some of these youth teams. Like, if you're run by one of the local dads, you don't know if the team's going to break up. Like, you usually wait till the end of the season mm-hmm. to talk to the coach. So, it's been, it's been what I would consider a difficult year in travel baseball. Um, but nothing, I mean, other than obviously the coronavirus stuff, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy with tryouts. You're just, trying to, you're just trying to get a feel on where everybody, you know, what their plans are and, and go from there. So how many teams are you guys going to have next year? That's a great question. I don't know. We've got, we had 20 teams this year. I would imagine we probably have one or two more just based on how many kids showed up at tryouts, but the really difficult part, I don't know what, I don't know how you guys did it, Dan, but I don't split the teams off until after we see them practice a little bit in the winter. Like I won't break them off in A or B. So what I'm really trying to do is is basically sign up kids in like groups of 12. So I have full teams because if I sign up, you know, if they're 10 years old and I sign up 30 kids or 28 kids, that's essentially not enough for three teams, right? And I don't want to leave kids out like hung out to dry, so to speak. So it's kind of like I really try and invite in groups of 12 to make sure I have enough for a team. So when you have like low numbers at an age group, like 13U, we had lower numbers this year. So I only invited enough for one team. I didn't want to invite 18 kids and then be stuck with like 15 commits. And then you've got three kids who basically are not going to be on a team and you got to tell them after the fact, like, Hey, we don't have a spot for you, which is all, which is like the worst thing that to have to do to somebody. Yeah. It's, it's tough when you have those in between numbers. I, I don't know. We didn't ever had a good situation for, for that, but we didn't have to cross that bridge too many times, I guess. We only had youth age teams for a couple of years. So I don't know. Uh, youth, team, it's team, form, team formation is hard. Team formation is hard. Especially with fall ball. Fall ball is like, 
you basically ask for a commitment for next summer and then you ask anyone do they want to play fall and fall is also an additional cost so you're like making them double kind of double dip and they have to pay twice just to get into fall and it's I'm still trying to figure out the best way to go about incorporating fall ball. The best way is just to never play it. <laughs> yeah. Fall ball is the worst. You have to this year. You have to play fall ball this year. You don't. You do, Dan. I don't. What do you? All right. So you, I'm sure you probably still have some of your former players reach out and, and mm-hmm. even probably just people online, online, online coach, Dan Blewett, coach Dan Blewett at twitter.com. Uh, at twitter.com that's all that's how handles work i don't know who knows no one knows. uh twitter.com slash coach dan blue backslash uh go on i would say this year more than any you have to play fall ball especially in illinois so i don't know how other states are i don't know if maryland's playing football in the fall um so illinois has canceled all sports through january 1 except for golf and golf and like cross country so if you're a high school okay. athlete, you're not starting sports until January 1. But baseball is allowed. Like currently baseball is a sport that you can play and you can do it. That's why I thought really thought they were going to switch the high school season from spring to fall. They didn't do that. Uh, so now you've got football season, basketball, and baseball starting, you know, after January, which is going to really make it a shortened season. So this is really – I mean, you can have – a good two month fall baseball season and get in a lot more games. I mean, it seems like, especially with how many tryouts we've had so far, everyone's interested in fall and I get it. I, mean, I get that. Yeah. I just, uh, I I'm, just I'm with you. I hate fall negative, baseball. negative emotions towards fall ball. I just I, hated it as a kid hated it. Fall. It's just not, it's just not like, I don't know what's so bad about it, but it was so bad. It was so bad. I like the idea of fall baseball. I hate the execution of fall baseball because yeah, in I normal like years coach and like yeah. new players and there's a sh- like 16 games. I just was like, why am I here? Who are you coach? Do you know anything? Like, who are you? What, like, what am I doing? It's really, it's really just, I, I look at it from a cost, like to run a good fall season, you almost have to charge the same as you would for the summer season. Cause you're really, cause you're going to be playing the same amount. You're trying to play like people kind of look at fall as like secondary baseball where it's, Oh, we're just going to play on the weekends. Like, well, that's essentially what summer baseball is for high school kids. Anyways, you play on the weekends. Well, can you stop doing tournaments? Can you just hire two umpires and get a field or is that not? You could, but then that kind of, you know, which we are doing a little bit, but that, alienates I would say some of the portion who a lot of these big tournaments happen in the fall like Fort Myers West Palm Beach Jupiter uh Westfield Cedar Rapids Colonels like there's some big tournaments that happen in the fall and a lot of good teams will go to those and a lot of coaches will go to those like there's been a ton of in the past years past where I've gone to fall tournaments tons of college recruiters there I guess it depends on what age group we're talking about, though. Yeah. If we're talking about youth kids, 13-year-olds, yeah, rent a field, get an umpire, and just play some games. Mm Mm-hmm. Still expensive, though. Everything's expensive. What just happened? What just happened? There was a loud noise. You're on your end. end. Uh, Okay, so let's shift gears. Let's talk about some of the stuff we learned last week. Obviously, a big baseball physics week for us. Alan Nathan, Barton Smith. 
lot of va- vacant staring from both of us. God, what um, what happened there? What were some of your interesting takeaways, Robert? I think Alan was Alan was more interesting. Also, your mic has like exploded, by the way. Like something happened. Hello, it's, it's broken. Hello, yeah. still sound all right. Yeah, all right. I think Alan was more Alan was more interesting to me because. I understood him better. <laughs> like he made it a lot simpler than Barton did, which is not to say that Barton was unintelligent about what he was talking about. I just think Alan was easier to relate for someone who has no physics background whatsoever, which I do mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just found it interesting because it was Barton was mainly about pitch, like the seams and the pitching and the basically the flight of the ball. Whereas Alan, we jumped around a little bit. So as a hitter, I yeah. can relate a little more. Yeah, and Alan's topics were definitely a little more concrete. Barton's topics were a little more abstract, right? Like you had to kind of visualize this, this, the, the spinning of the ball, even though he had some good visuals. Like there, there just was a lot there to get through, like you said. And, and for me as well, watching his presentation before the podcast to try to be prepared, like it was, it was just a lot of new aerodynamic stuff that's not like you just run through a 45-minute presentation, you just like get it all right away. Like it just, right. it takes a lot of clarification. And I, and I think you did a good job of that as well, but you're right. It's just, it's just more abstract, complex kind of stuff. I mean, like fluid dynamics and all that is not well, the thing easy. With, to, it's not easy to laymanize if that's a word, right? The thing with, with Barton's was, it's like I, I kept catching myself thinking like, is this common sense or is this not common sense? Like the like, that's a good question in general. Yeah, like yeah, obviously, like a like to me, yeah, obviously, if you hold the ball with the seams differently, like it might do something different just because the seams are like it's not like throwing a cue ball where it's a perfectly round sphere. Like yeah, mm-hmm. there's some there's gonna be some difference in uh you know the way like how the ball wind you know air comes off the ball and pressure and all that stuff. So to me, that was like, is this common sense or am I thinking about it wrong? So mm-hmm. I was like questioning my own understanding of a lot of what he was saying. And I well, did catch a little bit of it when I left. Like I, I turned it on while I was driving. Uh, so I jumped on a phone call. Oh, th- thank you so much for throwing us a bone and listening well, to, I, listening I, I to your own to, show. I tried to talk on Periscope, but nobody's listening to me. Yeah, I still don't understand Periscope. It's like the worst. Pl- like, why is it a different platform? It makes no sense. Periscope is just like nonsense. I like that. It, I like that it links to Twitter. Like, it's got some useful purposes. It's just why don't they just kill it and make it Twitter? Like, you're just on Twitter. You just do Twitter video. Like, why is Periscope a thing? It's so mm-hmm. stupid. It's the dumbest thing. Like, it was a separate company. Twitter bought them. And then like, hey, we can still keep you as a separate company, as a separate app, and we'll just like make them integrate, but they'll be really confusing and hard to use and not really make any sense and be the same colors as Twitter. It's just like, it's a bunch of nonsense. It's ridiculous. Or if you're Twitter and worth $10 billion, why don't you just make your own Periscope Well, Twitter app? Is, the, like, this, is like the worst run company. Like they have a part-time CEO. Jack Dorsey is also the CEO of Square, the payments company. Yeah, yeah. He's like there half the time. They've been trying to get him kicked off, like get a new, like an actual full-time CEO. The stock like does nothing. The uh, their technology, very- like selling ads, like they're garbage compared to like Facebook and these other companies that have really sophisticated targeting and all this. I mean, Facebook ads are really powerful, even though Facebook's like an evil corporation. Like Twitter just sucks at pretty much everything, but people like it. So I love Twitter. I love Twitter. 
I, I come to enjoy it a little bit more. Um, it's, it still is like the worst in everybody. It's but. a cesspool, but it's good. It's instant information and it's simple. Like it's a, it's a simple platform to use. Yeah. Well, so my things with uh, the physics talk. So the, the thing that, that's new and it was new to me is the idea of the wake behind the ball, just like, you know, wake of, of a boat. Yeah. And the fact that if it's like the wake is up, it's putting pressure down the ball. If the wake is down, it's, it's, it's hard to, th- it's interesting to visualize it that way because you don't think about that, but obviously that's the way the aerodynamics are. Um, and the idea that like the two seamer is the same as a four seamer, if there's no like sort of like wobbliness added to it, basically like the human error component, which I thought that was really interesting. And uh, it's had me actually have an email I need to respond to about isn't that. Isn't that like, that's kind of my point. Isn't that like the, the common sense part of it? Like if you hold it different, it's, like he kept saying everything, not in a, I said a vacuum and he's like, and he, he said, not necessarily a vacuum, just all things equal. Well, I would assume if all things were equal, like they'll all be the same. That's the same ball, right? Like if you throw, uh, cause I, I'm assuming like, okay, well, four seam, so, two seam, it's still back, got backspin going straight. He was just saying that in his lab, they have a cannon that shoots balls and they always have like perfect spin, like because of the way it is, it's like you shoot a, a, a gun, it's always going to have like perfect right. bullet spin because it has grooves cut. It has the, you know, the, the rifling cut into the barrel. So it makes the bullet spin a certain way. Right. His machine's the same way. So he says when, you know, when I'm shooting a two seam reverse, it, there's no difference because they have perfect bat spin. But in real life, because of the grip, for some reason, two seamers tend to do stuff, whereas four seamers tend to not do stuff, which is interesting. So it's not really about this, the orientation of the ball. It's about the, the interaction between the pitcher and the ball and the grip, which is, so it's like which is interesting. pronation and it's like some, yeah, some, something, something the way you hold it is ultimately what does. And, and of course, but the other thing is that also makes sense to me. And it also corroborates what I've seen as an instructor. Cause one of my YouTube videos that's been getting a lot more traction recently, just because it's baseball season is I have a long video about how the two seamer is not right for everybody. And everyone this is what's been a, a point of irritation for me. Everyone's like, oh, you got to throw a two-seamer. You got, oh, you're getting hit. You got to throw a two-seamer. Got to throw a two-seamer. Most kids' two-seamers don't move. They just are straight and they suck. And I'm like, why are we throwing a two-seamer when your two-seamer is just a four-seamer? Just throw a four-seamer. And so his point corroborates that, that if you don't have something on it, essentially, it does, it's not different. And people think it's magic. Oh, just here's a two-seam, two-seam grip. Get those ground balls. And so he actually really helped validate my feelings that the two seamer is not different unless you make it different. So if you can't actually make it sink and actually make it run through finding a grip and tinkering it and the way you naturally release the ball, then it's just, it's not a better pitch. It's just a straight pitch like your fastball. So that was a, that's a big win for my school of thought, I guess. But, and that's, and that, that again, that's only been confirmed by observation. Most youth players, their two seamers don't do anything. They're yeah, a waste I get of time. That. They're a waste of time. And if anything, thing, kids cut their two seamers way more. They cut it a lot. Maybe the thing about it, I guess, because the two seam is visually different, even if it's flying the same. If you're a kid and you like, even if you're a high school kid, you see that you're going to at least 
take a second guess on what you see, and you're not going to assume it's a four-seam fastball if it doesn't look like a four-seam fastball. So a little deception there, even if the ball's not doing anything different. I, and I mentioned that, Maybe. too, like a the curveball that doesn't break how it's supposed to break, and you're like, even when you recognize it as a hitter, yeah. you're like, what the hell? Yeah, like greeter, backup sliders, backup cutters, stuff like that. He definitely, Barton definitely had a, had more props. He had the the balls with the access the access going through, and those are good props. So I need to make some of those. All you gotta do is drill a hole in a ball and get a screwdriver. But yeah, he had some good props. That's 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 useful stuff because it, it is. It's hard to visualize spin, especially slow spin. So if you're taking a ball and you're like doing the itsy bitsy spider thing, which I do, you know, like yeah. showing like oh, it spins like this. You really can't visualize like, what's going on. Like when you see it actually spin, like this is what it's going to look like in a game. That's where I think it's important. Um, but the one thing, and, and he and I need to talk more about, it, is the idea that you could throw a four seamer that just like moves this way or that way. With if you get the seam shifted wake, that's really fascinating. So I need to explore that idea a little more. Um, and and those things, and the and the funny thing about it is a lot of that stuff is stuff that pitchers don't tinker with. Like we don't tinker with trying to make a four seamer move. You know what I mean? Right. It's just like, why would I do that? When maybe there is a good reason to do that. And so that's why some of these outsiders, um, people that haven't been ingrained in baseball to say, this is the way you do it your whole life. They can look at problems from a new perspective and say, why couldn't it just do this? If I, right. if I do this, or it can actually do this if we do this. And maybe it's a viable thing. Maybe it's not. And that's the other thing is like, just because you can make another, you, you could make your four seam remove or your two seam remove, or you could add this pitch or that pitch doesn't mean it's going to be a viable big league pitch. Like you, like you might be able to do it, get to do something, but it just doesn't belong in your repertoire of your four best pitches or your three best pitches. That's the well, other thing. What was the pitch he was looper? What was the pitch he was mm -hmm. calling? Like that's, is it like a pitch that he invented or he just that, one of the guys throws that he it just falls between yeah it just like falls in between categories like it's not a disco like ball change up this. yeah like um, it turns over the top of the baseball yeah kind of and uh it just like it doesn't fall into any of those categories where it's kind of a new pitch based on the spin and that's really how pitches should be defined i think is is by their spin which is how they are you know like a and that was my part of my point too, which is that changeups never really had a defined spin. You just like picked a grip and hoped it went slow. And if it went slow, then it was a changeup. Right now the disco ball changeup, which is the one that I've been throwing and, and kind of teaching for years, uh, plus or minus, it doesn't sound like it's maybe exactly the same, but it's very, very similar, if not exactly the same. That's like a pretty defined pitch. Like this is what we're trying to make it do. And so let's try to figure out how we can do that and then repeat it. And then if we get that spin, we know we've done it right. Right. And that's, I think, the, the goal of, of pitch development is to have that cookie cutter. And cookie cutter sounds bad, but it's not. Like, we just want to say, hey, this is what good sliders do. Let's try to get into that cookie cutter. Right. Because if, if, Andrew's, if Andrew Miller's slider spins like this, you, like, who doesn't want Andrew Miller's slider, right? How do you even, teach, does how he even exist kid, anymore? How do you teach a kid to throw a slider? I don't know if he does. Dude, it's hard. It's really hard you have to just sort of explain it and let them throw it and throw it and throw it. And it gets better over time. It's a so very hard one to, to, to teach. When I first asked somebody, I'm like, how do you throw a slider? I don't remember what, how old I was. It might've been college. And the guy was like, just grip it like this. He's like, and throw it like you would throw a football. 
And yep. I was like, and I'm like, what? Like football. But then I just did it. And it like it, I mean, I wasn't a pitcher obviously, but it would mm-hmm. move. And as a position guy, your dream is to get on the mound. Always every game you're getting blown out. The dream is to get on the mound mm-hmm. and throw your nasty slider that you've been working on for years. So that when you filth. play, when you play catch slider, it's usually you try one breaking ball and then you always try throwing a knuckleball for your position guy. There's no reason not to try and throw a knuckleball. If Zach yeah, Clark's no reason, listening. No. no reason. No reason not to. Yeah. Well, it is hard because you can't really coach them through it. Like with a curveball, the spin is easier to understand. Like it just needs to have top spin. Like you got to get it to spin forward. And if it's not spinning really clean forward and it's got like that mixture in there, then you're like, hey, you kind of got on the side of that one. Try to get to the front of it a little bit better, you know, mentally, whatever. With a slider, you're putting a combination of spin on it. So you're trying to get to the front of the ball, but you're also kind of getting on the side of the ball. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you release it here, then you come back through it. That's where you add that second spin. Like your finish essentially adds the bullet spin to it, the gyro spin. But you're trying to get to like the the two o'clock part of the ball, essentially, if you're a righty. And that doesn't work on a kid. You can't say, hey, try to get your fingers to two o'clock, then come back through it. Like that's nonsense. That's not good for anybody, right? Well, that's then you not always, like a, yeah. You always end up getting like the screw the light bulb in move when they try and throw a slider because they're trying to like flick it. And, and, it's, and it's not exactly like that, as you know, because you right. don't get on the side of it. And that's the common thing. You don't just like get on the side of it because then it has almost like that disco ball spin. Right. You have to get to the front of it. And that's the thing a lot of people are missing. I remember there was a, a kid on the web. He's like probably 25 now. And I remember like kind of following him as he was like working hard trying to throw 95 miles per hour or whatever. Um, seems like a nice guy. And he... Uh, I saw him like either writing or posting something on Twitter about it a couple of years ago that he was like, someone just told him that he's supposed to get to the front of his slider. And I'm like, dude, you've had some bad coaches to never hear that piece of relatively obvious wisdom right? before age 22. Cause I feel like he was 22 at the time. And he just learned that you don't get on the side of a slider. You do have to get to the front of it. And that's what all the best, like when I was, when I was learning a slider one of my years and this was never a good pitch for me. It was something I was trying to add because I was struggling. Guys were like, you have to get to the front of it. Like you can't make it too, like you, you kind of learn to sweep it, get to the side of it first. And then when it starts to sweep, then you got to get to the front of it. And that's how you actually get to sharply break and, and be hard enough and all that stuff. But there isn't a good way to coach of like how you get your hand to the right position. Like the words are clunky a friend of mine who's a division one pitching coach we were talking about this like a year or two ago he's like dude what do you what do you tell guys when you throw they're throwing a slider i'm like i don't know either it's just it's there's not great there's but what i've seen over time because i've taught a lot of kids sliders and some of them became really really good is just the more they throw it and you give them feedback and you tell them hey that one was good like that one you got too much on the side Mm. that's it's just it takes a lot of repetitions and just staying on them and giving them feedback. I think that's really the biggest thing. Anyway. It's a hard – it's – I feel like kids that throw good sliders just are trying to throw good curveballs, and they just find it somehow in that trial and error, kind of how you said, as opposed to – Yeah. Like, like so kind of relate back to what we were talking about earlier, but tryouts, you know, when I have a, a kid that's trying out to pitch, he's a high school kid, I'm like, what do you throw? And he'll tell me, and some of the kids are like fastball, curveball, changeup. And then some guys will come in like fastball, two seam, curveball, slider, changeup. 
splitter. I'm like, okay, pick pick your two best ones and throw. Like, I don't have all day here. Give me your two best pitches. Yeah, you don't throw well, seven pitches. You throw one fastball, and you probably throw one breaking ball that's breaks once. Yeah, and I wonder if I have a video on this actually. Now that I think about it, because that's I I preach that to the just I beat that to death. And number one, your two seamer isn't a second pitch, so you don't have to list them both. Like if you throw a fastball, you if you throw a two seamer, great. You don't need to say fastball. Oh, and, and a two seamer, like they're the same pitch. It's a fastball. My favorite is when they when they're talking about signs to the catcher, and it's one's fastball, two is two seam, and three <laughs> is curve. It's like no, guys, guys, please stop that. Well, that's the thing about baseball. There's so many things that are like not proper that seem to make sense. Again, this goes back to like me being in Turkey last year in April when I had to like, hey, you know, that's not how you warm up. You don't just go in a big circle and throw the ball to each other. Like you have to line up and this is where you stand. This is how you throw it around. Like there's so many little nuances. And that's another one that I would never even have thought about until you brought it up. Is like, well, yeah. And you don't realize that you have to teach like. Yeah, exactly. I you find myself. Realize it. Mm-hmm. I find myself correcting like around the horn, like after, you know, a routine play, like, you know, hit the third, throw it to first. And I find myself correcting the guy throwing it around the horn. Like I'm a big, you go in order, you throw second to short to third. And if you skip the second baseman, you go right to short and he goes right to third. Like really? I don't go. Yeah. I don't go back. I thought you go to mm-hmm. short first, then second, then third. Never, so I never, a- never. So a lot of times, and a normal play, like let's say a ball hits the left side of the infield, the third baseman, the second baseman should be sprinting the back up first. Like he should out of the opposite of his instinct to go away from the ball. So if he's doing it correctly, he ends up behind the first baseman. So you either flip it to him or you throw it a short and then the shortstop just kind of goes right back to third. Like he kind of skipped the second baseman. I find yeah. myself correcting that a lot. I also find myself correcting the throw down after a strikeout third to short, to second, back to third. Like not third, second, short, and then the shortstop would just like flip it to the pitcher. <laughs> Guys, stop. Stop that. Give it back to the third baseman. So you don't want them to have that long throw? Why not have the longer throw? And I've just never done I've never I don't like the way the long I don't like the way the cross infield action looks hmm. as an infield snob. So I always go in order just and let the second baseman have the throw. How do they do it in, in Pro Bowl? I've always done it that way in Pro Bowl. Oh, okay. third to short to second. Yeah. I've always that's another thing that, yeah, if that was a multiple choice and like, does the first baseman throw to the shortstop first or the second baseman first? Oh, it's not a, it's not a hundred percent toss up for me. No, I I more see like the, like it'll, it won't end with the third baseman or, or the first, or they'll incorporate the first baseman on a, on a strikeout, like third to second to short to first, and then they'll flip it to the pitcher. This is just like a. I mean, I'm talking like high school does kids. It, I have no does idea. it change versus righty first baseman versus lefty first baseman? Because in my mind, as a righty first baseman catching that throw from short to third, that's a kind of an awkward turn to then throw it to where the second baseman is. You know what I mean? Like he's got to turn his hips a long way. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're a lefty first baseman, it's just like, see ya. Whereas it's a less awkward throw for the righty first baseman to throw to short. I. Re- I don't remember touching the ball that often on a throw around as the second baseman, unless the first baseman just flipped it to me. I don't remember. Hmm. I mean, you, it's not that it's wrong. It's kind of preference, and that's my preference. But I just mm-hmm. find myself correcting it all the time 
because probably I would say 50% of the time we don't even throw it around. Like we'll make the play and the first base will just throw it to the pitcher. It's like, no, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, throw the ball that. around. We yeah. throw that ball around. Hugh, what, so what's the first thing you put the <laughs> Old Bay hot sauce on that you're caressing it in front of me? Well, like I said, it's not, this is not a, a change in my life because this is pretty much what I've been already making on my own. Well, what's head, like the I said. first food in your in your top three foods? What does Old Bay go on? Hot sauce? Is it pizza? It's just chicken. No, I don't. I don't do hot sauce and pizza. No, pizza gets ranch if it's a frozen pizza. Otherwise, there's nothing. Just pizza by itself. This will go on chicken. Some chicken thighs. Some chicken black thighs. black black beans and rice later on today. I got to make some food for second half of my week. But that's about it. Just chicken. I don't actually eat much red meat anymore. The other thing I wanted to mention about that anti-fragile book, which I also thought was interesting, which is part of the reason, reason I walked to the grocery store this morning, was that he said, look, for years, this idea of breakfast has been got to eat breakfast to start the day off right, right? He's like, mm-hmm. what animal can you name in its evolution and still today, including humans, wakes up and has food to eat right then? humans that's it but even but like 300 years ago did humans no you went to hunt for it exactly and he's like that's why i he said i try to move and do something active before i eat anything and i think that's really smart i think that's a really smart idea so i'm gonna actually try to do something even if it's just like today like my walk was like a half a mile up and back so it was like a mile ish and that's something where there probably is something to be said for that that your body's kind of built that way to burn some calories, get things going. And that probably helps keep your body fat down for sure. Are you an intermittent fasting guy? No, I think that's annoying. Although I do pretty much just eat like two big meals a day these days. And, and often, often a third, third, but I, I I don't have to eat in the morning very much. I don't really like to, I would say you probably do it unknowingly for like, I did it unknowingly for a really long time. I never ate breakfast. I would never, I'm not a breakfast person. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, when you, you probably stop eating at, let's see, even it's called 11 o'clock at night. Like I probably wouldn't eat until the following like afternoon at the earliest, like you kind of go work out in the morning, especially when I was still playing, you work yeah. out, you hit, or you hit and you go work out, then you eat. So you're probably eating at like 12, one o'clock. So you're really kind of like practicing it without knowing it. I don't know if we've had any contribution to fitness because I wasn't trying mm-hmm. to do it. Like I wasn't noticeably like trying to intermittent fast, but yeah, I'm with you. Like breakfast other than coffee, maybe I'm not, I'm not on it. Yeah. My, well, my body doesn't like eating that much until like 10 o'clock anyway. But I, like I said, I think the idea of just doing something to get the body moving before eating food it does seem like that's a time-tested thing that nature does. Animals have to go hunt before they eat. Humans mm-hmm. used to have to go gather something before they ate. Now, I'm sure that's certainly not the rule because when you start to have a, a society, you're going to start to keep some food around to like, you know. But then again, I don't know how what farms are like. I don't know that every farm back in the day, 200 years ago, like, did you wake up and have food? Or it's like, hey, wake up, go do a couple of chores, go milk the cows, go do these bunch of things, then come in for breakfast. I don't have any, I don't know if that was, which was the norm, but I imagine you probably did some chores before having you some definitely, food. You definitely probably. had things you had to do right or right in the morning. As soon as the rooster crows, you had something you had to do. 
Yeah, probably, you know, from like five to 7 a.m. or something. And then you eat a nice breakfast at seven. You've already done some stuff. So I think there's something to that. And again, this just goes back. Yeah. And this just goes back to the idea of like, what has time proven to be a routine or normal or good for, for humans over the long term. And that's probably one of them as well. Exercise has exercise proven to be a, well, one of those see, ex- exercise is weird because we used to have to do so much physical stuff. Like if you lived obviously as a hunter gatherer that speaks for itself, but then if you lived on a farm, I mean, you're active all day, right? Thou- right. Like I have my new Apple watch and it tracks my, and I walk in a given week, probably 30 miles now because I live in a city. Um, yesterday was like a, I had 6.3 miles. I walk, let's go through my walking here, Robert. Yesterday, 6.3 miles. Sunday was a big one. Uh, Sunday, 5.2 miles. Saturday, 12 and a half miles. Friday, two miles. Thursday, two miles. Wednesday, 8.7 miles. Tuesday, so I don't know. It varies. I, I, I don't walk as much. I'll take my scooter when I'm going to lift weights that day because it just like takes too much time sometimes just to walk that many miles a day. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm probably around 30 a week-ish. And that's, I think, a pretty normal thing for a human to do, especially if you worked on a farm. That'd be like no sweat. Like you'd be walking way more than that in a given week. So that was exercise, swinging a pickaxe and all that stuff. Yeah. I realize how fit you get when you just walk. Like you, when I was in, when we went to Europe a lot of extra calories. Oh man, you're walk, you walk everywhere. You're walking upstairs, down hills. Like Mm -hmm. it's basically their mode. That's their mode of transportation. The majority of the time, because people don't leave like their village essentially like in Europe. A lot of things happen within a square mile. Well, is your neighborhood in Chicago walkable? Uh, You walk, you walk a lot of places. You, you wouldn't walk to like the grocery store is probably a mile, which isn't bad. But then if you're walking back with groceries, it's like, it's not a do it sissy. It's just not it's like a, good, a, it's good for your forearms. Come on, man. It is good. I agree. And you could steal a cart if you really needed to just roll, roll it down the streets. It's not like a buggies. It's not scenic, uh, like a scenic walk. Like you're basically walking a lot like where I'm at. I'm walking along busy streets essentially which is not really like it's a boring walk, just cars. It's not like you're walking on, like I've been to DC, like walking in DC, especially when you get by like the national mall and all that stuff, it's just kind of like wide open space. You're not really cars flying past you as much. <laughs> That's true, you know? but you don't get groceries at the Lincoln Memorial. I mean, sure you do. Although you DC is, DC is a lot more, uh, neighborhood. It gets neighborhoody quick. Well, not neighborhoody, yeah. but just like the, the way, my walk from my grocery store is through a lot of row homes that are like different pastel colors and there's tons of trees on every street. So it's like not an unpleasant walk by any means. It's a nice, pretty nice walk. You can, you can easily avoid main roads without getting derailed. Whereas Chicago, maybe you can't quite as much. No, you really can't. But yeah. All right. Let me, uh, I want to end on this cause I texted you this yesterday and it kind of goes back to our looting top three places you would loot, Dan, you got free reign, Cause I, cause I had texted. So this, this is a text message conversation between Dan and I, and they, <laughs> the Chicago scanner tweets out all the stuff that happens in Chicago. And the, the one tweet I saw said they're back at old Navy. 
it's like, why did you need to go back into, why did you go loot of all the stores? You go to Old Navy and then you return to Old Navy? Why? So then that prompted me to ask Dan what his top three would be. I assume Old Navy is not in your top three. Well, you have to clarify, are we reselling or are we keeping? Because that's a very uh, big difference. Let's, we're going to keep. We're going to keep. Okay. Um, if it's a keep store, then Apple store. Oh, I'd get, I'd, I'd try to, I mean, it, you, you such, so frantic trying to find the, the model of laptop that you really want. The really expensive one that they have on in stock. You got to uh, fight everybody else for it. The Toomey, Toomey luggage store. That's one of my favorite brands. I have lots of Toomey items, but I actually buy them used and I actually resell them a lot. If I like find one that's a deal, I'll just buy and resell it for a profit once in a while. It's kind of fun. Uh, but to me, luggage, I like a lot. And then my other one, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Give me, give me your, give me your list and then I'll, I'll fill my third. So I'm going with, I'm go. do you know what micro center is? No. Micro center is like a, it's like a niche Best Buy. It's kind of like Best mm. Buy, but it's got more like, higher quality stuff i would say so i'm going micro center i don't want to i don't want to limit myself to apple products maybe i want to maybe i want to i got my i got my answer now but i'll wait till you finish okay so i'm definitely going i'm definitely going micro center i'm definitely going like i'm gonna go whole foods and just stock up on organic groceries i'm looking i'm i'm functional dan i'm functional here all right, give me your third because I want to think about it because this third one is I'm I'm on the Does it have spot. to be local to DC or can it be? No, you anywhere? can you can right. loot anywhere. B and H photo video in, in what New the York. What is New that? York. What is that? B and H is similar to Micro Center. It's a it's a pretty big, very cool. So if you walk in there, they have all these uh, shipping rails above. So there's boxes just like zipping around on this on like uh, what are those moving things called in a in a factory floor? Uh, Assem- not assembly lines, but yeah, where they, where they whatever, move where they move stuff. It's like, do, 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 do. Anyway, it's a really cool store, but they just have tons of. If you want a five thousand dollar camera or a five thousand dollar microphone, or they just have lots of high end photo electronics, cool text. Like you said, like way beyond a Best Buy. Like that's a great place to just to go. All right, so you got B and A, B and A photo, B and H, B and H, B and H photo. All right, and then I guess I'm I wouldn't need to go to the Apple store though, because they have Apple products. So oh, they so, so throws all this into question. So throws all this into question. I'm going. I'm going Menards. And if you've been to a big Menards, have you been to Menards? You have to. I'm sure you've been to a Menards. Of course, it's so much better than Lowe's or Home Depot. Oh, you so can't. I could get. I can grocery. You can do everything at Menards. Like I'd have to bring a. I'd almost want to rob a U-Haul first. So I let's let me replace Whole Foods with U-Haul. The only thing about Menards for a looting standpoint is Menards is more, they have less brand name stuff. They have lower end stuff, which I appreciate because you can buy, you, like everything is expensive in Home Depot or Lowe's. Like stuff that shouldn't be expensive. Like you need like one type of screwdriver, like one of this and it's like $15. You're like, you just like feel used. Menards, you can, go, you, you can go in there and get some, some cheap tool that you don't need to be an expensive tool. Like there's a time to buy expensive tools and there's a time not to. Oh yeah. Menards, you can go in there and save actually save a lot of money, like their jingle says. But 
If I was going to loot, I think I'd go to Home Depot because they have all the brand name power tools, as does Lowe's. Mm. They have more high-end stuff at those two stores. They do have good stuff. I just like Menards better, though. Well, yeah. If I'm spending money, I hope to never go to Home Depot or Lowe's ever again. Well, maybe that's that's it then. Maybe because I like Menard, whoever he is, somewhere so much that I will loot Home Depot instead to save him the hassle. Maybe that's maybe that's the play right well, there. Well, looting is about getting high-end stuff. That's what looting is. I mean, it's not. But if we're not re- if deals. we're not reselling, like if we were reselling, I'd be at that like it's like the Prada store and the and the Gucci store, just collecting just jewelry and all kinds of stuff. You you've got to be a certain kind of person to want like Gucci stuff, though. It's just like yeah, a but, weird. Like I I would never but, wear anything Gucci ever. But people but it's buy like it. If I'm reselling, oh, I know, it, but, but yeah. I wouldn't loot it because it's like a strange, strange style. I don't know. You're it's like you're, very gaudy. It's very gaudy. <laughs> but you're robbing a fur. You're robbing a Tumi store. Yeah, Tumi backpacks and luggage, legit. They're wallets. I have a wallet. I have a backpack. Sam, a, a better than bag. Samsonite. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's it's it's, it's it's classy. Classy. You you see this backpack? It's a classy. This is a classy Tumi backpack. You need a high-duty backpack or heavy-duty backpack. I do, and that's a $500 backpack, but I bought it for 120 bucks used, mm, and it was like perfect condition. And I so could sell it again, s- and I could sell it again for 250 anytime I wanted to. So you it's basically like, it's like playing it. the stock. It's like playing the stock market, Bobby. <laughs> that's a, I would steal somebody's stock tips. That's what I would steal. I'd loot somebody's stock information, Warren Buffett's stock information. Well, oddly enough, and we're getting off topic and we're going to end here in a second, but a lot of my electronics gear, my camera gear, I bought used at a really good price and then resold it and then took the profit and bought the thing that I actually wanted. Like my first camera that I did, the first time I bought an actual camera to do YouTube videos, I got a, a pretty decent one used for like 250 I sold it for 350 and then bought another slightly more expensive used camera <laughs> and then sold that for a profit too before I finally bought my current camera, which was about a grand. So I like kind of like trading up like magic, magic beans. I've done that a bunch of different times actually. Um, you, you are the, you are the secondhand wizard. Cause I did, I texted Dan, I'm looking for dumbbells, some more dumbbells for my weight room. And I texted Dan, I'm like, I know this is your, this is, this is where you thrive. If there's a deal to be found, Dan Blewett has found it. Well, we we really did because when I had my academy, I pieced together that gym with uh, surplus equipment. So I bought weight plates from Indiana State Penitentiary, Penitentiary, <laughs> and at least fifteen percent of them were, were they had spiral cracks. A lot of them were broken because I'm sure inmates were like doing cleans and just dropping them on the floor on the concrete and just like you never see a broken weight plate. Most of you listening have probably never heard, never seen a broken weight plate. We had a lot of broken plates. Um, I bought tons of racks from, from old high schools that upgraded their weight room and they have to, because they're a public school, they have to surplus auction their stuff off. They can't just sell it to some guy. Um, we bought Iowa state's old, uh, weight plates, their entire thing of dumbbells. So when we actually sold the business, we probably made a profit on our equipment. We probably, if I had added up over the years how much we actually spent versus how much it was worth, when we sold it at the end, we probably made money on our on our equipment because we just bought it so cheap. Like I got three that dumbbell set was like a twenty five thousand dollars set that I got for three grand. 
Um, that's that's like what you're I'm looking you're, for. You're, you're never going to not make your money back on that because it's worth it's worth a lot of money to people if you can hold out long enough. Right. All and right. I, so get on your my first and my first my first haul. I got a ton of stuff from my high school, and I bought way more than I needed, and I sold off individual pieces. I sold, so I spent like twelve hundred bucks, and I got like a bunch of power racks, a bunch of these really heavy duty, well made other pieces, and I sold off all the stuff I didn't need, and it paid for the entire lot. So I got all this equipment for free. That was like one of my first big purchases. I was super pumped about it. But yeah, you'll, you, you can't always get those. Yeah, I'm gonna need you to do that. Dan's buying club. We should start. We you're good at this. This is where this is where you thrive. No, it's more like just like a side hustle slash hobby. It's sometimes. A hobby. Yep. I just need to do that on a big scale in the stock market. Day trading. <laughs> All right. We'll catch us uh, later in the week. We're going to have recorded episodes. Cause I'm going on vacation from Friday to Friday. So you'll still hear us, but it'll be not live. So hope to see you back here soon. Unless Bobby wants to go. Do you want to have a guest guest host? I mean... I am co-host of the year, but I don't know if I can be lead host of the year. You can guest host. It's time to get to earn your wings, man. I could find you somebody. I do need. I need. So, I need someone with some some antagonistic qualities. We so had a good. We had, yeah, we actually had a frustrated uh, YouTube message today. Well, <laughs> so at nine twenty, some guy says hi, and then he says baseball or Corona. Two question marks, and then says later. So I guess he didn't like our, our I guess he didn't like our bickering about uh, vaccines. Oh, uh, cares? Do you know what? Tell that guy not to listen then. Well, he's, he's probably not, he's not. It's probably, he's, he's it's probably Clark. It's probably we're, one of our friends. We're dead to him. It was his name. It says Trevor Hamilton. If that's a real person, so Trevor, that's, if you're out there listening, sorry you hate the show and sorry that you hate America, but. Sometimes Bobby and I bicker at each other, and oddly enough, we're still friends for it. We're on Twitter; everyone just hates each other and blocks each other. So, I can oh, think. Last, last thing, rational, I'm. It's fine. We can keep <laughs> Am uh, I think Brooklyn's getting better on your Twitter? <laughs> she's getting better. I haven't commented it recently, and I need to get back to it. But she is getting better at it. So, Brooklyn, if you're out there, kudos to you. You are. You're really. You're really getting the tone of a Dan Blewett. She's not out there, but um, but yeah, good job, good job, good job, Brookie Wook. She's uh, been reposting a lot of my content, but most of the actual things are coming from me. Mm-hmm. So very few and far between. Or yeah, is yeah. it? Or is it? Is it? Or is it? <laughs> it's a Brooklyn tweet. <laughs> All right, we will see you here later in the week on the Morning Brushback. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify. Leave us a review. It helps us. We would appreciate it. See you. See you.